Okay, let's 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 pray and we'll begin. So, Heavenly Father, we do uh, thank you that you are indeed a gracious Lord, and Lord, we just um, as we go through this psalm now, uh, we just pray, help us to uh, see what's going on, understand what David is is saying to us, and what you are saying to us, and um, yeah, just gain a great appreciation of uh, of who you are. Amen. Uh, so, yeah, so Psalm 19, um, there are just some preliminary things about it, I guess. So, you might, may or may not have picked it up as, as Ricky was reading it, but there are some who claim that Psalm 19 it was probably originally um, two different psalms, um, uh, that, that the sections are so different to each other that at some stage it was obviously all, all, all mashed together just to make it the one psalm. Um, but obviously we've got them as the one and uh, as, as I hope to show today and as other people are showing, it's, it is actually one flowing argument. Um, uh, Dale Ralph Davies describes this psalm as worship from the top down and he divides it up as, as verses 1 to 6, the, the, the wonders of God's visible creation, what we should see, verses 7 to 10, the benefits of God's written word, what we should hear, and 11 to 13, David's own urgent need, what we must say. Um, so as, as this suggests, and as hopefully, hopefully I'll show, that uh, the psalm isn't these wildly different, unconnected themes, but, but this is a song. David's taking us somewhere. He's, he's starting his praise at a certain point, and he's leading us through to another point. Um, Okay, so let's get into the psalm itself now. So it is addressed, as as most of you will know, um, that where it says um, uh, to the choir master of Psalm of David, that is in the original text. So straight away that tells us who the author is. Um, but apart from that, we really have no other details about this psalm. We don't know anything about when it was written or, or if it was in, in, in reference to any specific event. But at the end of the day, none of that really matters because really this is just simply a psalm of adoration and praise, isn't it? So it starts off verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. What, what a great way to start a psalm. The heavens declare the glory of God. As, as Steve Messer pointed out to us at a meeting a while ago, um, it's, it's not like the song, the, sh- the heavens shall declare the glory of the Lord, but that the heavens do declare we're not waiting for some declaration to be displayed, but it is on display. It's already on display for us. So the glory of God is seen as in his creation. And, and the first six verses of this psalm build on this theme. So, so back to verse one. And, and the skies above proclaim his handiwork. So this is the work of his hands. So it talks about the precision and care in God in his creation. So you've probably heard about the idea that, that, that the Mona Lisa tells us something a little about a little bit about um, I was going to say Leonardo DiCaprio, Leonardo da Vinci, um, um, that, that he was a real person and that obviously he was an artistic genius, um, and, and so too with the heavens. The heavens, the creation, they reveal to us something of God, and the verb here in Hebrew indicates that this is an ongoing thing. It's, a, it's continuing, so they're continually proclaiming his handiwork. Um, as I've mentioned before, Robin and I became Christians in, in a little house church in, in, in a town called Creswick, just outside of Ballarat. Um, often after church, we would have picnics and lunches together, 
and uh, one day we packed the whole church into my four-wheel drive. I did say it was a little church. And um, we drove up to the top of one of the local mountains. Now, the words of our pastor have struck with me ever since. Sitting up there on the mountain, just looking out at the view, she said, um, wow, imagine coming up here and having no one to be thankful to. And that's the point here. Um, as, as Spurgeon has pointed out, an undevout astronomer is mad. There is such traces, there are such traces and of the infinite and the omnipotent in the stars. So how can we look at the heavens and see just randomness? Um, they're just, it's all just the result of a cosmic accident. No, instead we are, we are in fact captivated by the heavens. So verse 2, day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. Again, this verse tells us that this, this is a daily ongoing thing. It's day to day and night to night. It's an ongoing pro- proclamation. And verse 3, there is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Now verse 3 is, is a silent proclamation, but if you glance down at verse 4, which we'll get back to in a tick, um, the voice goes out. So it's silent, but the voice goes out. With, um, with all the COVID stuff, I've been working from home since uh, April last year. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I actually work in aged care, so my job's about putting uh, services into people's homes so they don't have to go into a nursing home. But, um, and you know, as, as a general rule, most people you deal with are just lovely, lovely people, but you're dealing with people, and not everyone's lovely. People... And even when you, you know, even the lovely people, you can still be panicked, you can still be stressed, you can still be demanding. Um, you get people ring up, they can be abusive, like all sorts of things can happen. But often there's days when um, um, I start the day with my list of things to do. Uh, before nine o'clock, I've got a dozen other things to do, and the phone's still ringing hot of people demanding all these things have to having to be done today. Um, often I'll get to the end of the day where. I'm, even though all I've done is sit at a computer, I just lie down on the couch exhausted. But the point is this. In the other room, I have a wife who can hear my, uh, my groanings and my exasperations. And in the middle of all this going on, she'll just quietly bring me in you know, a, a cup of tea and a bit of fruitcake and you know, a kiss on my cheek. She hasn't said a word, but she said something. So... Just in something simple like that, you know, she's expressing you know, her love and care for me. She can, she can hear what's going on. She's expressing love and care. That, that's a poor illustration of what's going on in this psalm. Um, so the heavens declare, the speech is poured out, the voice goes out to the earth, and yet there is no speech, there are no words. It's a different kind of language. It's a different kind of communication he's talking about here. So it's not verbal. It's, it's this silent communication still. And so back to verse 4, their voice goes out to all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In other words, the witness of God in creation is evident everywhere. It's to the ends of the earth. There are no boundaries. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. So the image here is of a bridegroom coming out of his uh, bridal chamber, all joyous and beaming. Um, and like a strong man, this is so the sun, like a strong man runs its course with joy. It is rising from the ends of the heavens and its circuits to the ends of them. So as is, you know, from a, from a first person perspective, you're watching the sun rise and set. 
and there is nothing hidden from its heat. So what it's saying here is that not one part of the earth, not one part of creation is left without this witness. Not, not speaking of the heavens, but of the human brain, I had a psychology lecture discussing the amazing complexity of the human brain. And she wasn't just discussing it, she was gushing. She was just, you know, just the neurons, the, the way it all functions, the way it all interconnects, the different parts of the brain, just how amazing it is. But what struck me, I'll never forget it, she stopped halfway through a, through a conversation and she said, um, you know, this is enough to make you think that maybe there's... And she stopped and changed the topic. Anyway, you, you picked up where I was going with that, so that's good, yeah, yeah. Um, so at the end of the day, you know, she just couldn't bring herself to entertain that perhaps there is a creator after all. Um, so this brings me to thinking through all this, my obvious thoughts, and I'm sure some of you are as well, is Romans 1. So if you have Bibles in front of you, Romans 1.18, I'll just be reading a few verses from there. While you're flicking, I'll just grab a quick drink. Funny, I, I, I was reluctant to, to preach on video, but then you sort of feel safe hidden behind a camera, and now you've got to stand up and face everybody. So Romans 1, beginning at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honour him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Um, every now and then, a friend of mine um, uh, is an atheist and we sometimes invite him, we go for drives up into the high country together. Um, and it is just interesting the different views we have. Um, for those of you who know it, we'll, I'll, I'll take him up to somewhere like the Pinnacles Fire Lookout, Fire Tower, and, um, um, you know, I, we, we both look out, we can see the same beauty, we have the same enjoyment, we have the same wonder. But whereas I'm looking out, I'm seeing the glory of God's creation, he's looking out and, and he openly admits, well, hang on, this is all just random events and, you know, doesn't mean anything. And he can't even, ex- he can't even explain why he enjoys it. Um, but yeah, so he stands up there, he looks at the beauty and the wonder and he has no one to be thankful to. So Psalm 19 and Romans 1 clearly tell us the heavens declare the glory of God and his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have clearly been perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, and yet they don't see. Spurgeon again. Only let the film of unbelief be taken from our eyes and we shall see that everything in the great temple of nature proclaims the greatness and the glory of God. In, in theological terms, this is what, what's called general revelation. So it's, it's sort of out there for everyone to see. It's the natural world. 
But um, the problem with general revelation is it's, it's enough for people to know God, to know about God, so they're without excuse, but it's not enough for salvation. So there's an old argument that although, although general revelation can't save somebody, um, it can prepare them for grace. So in declaring the glory of God, the heavens are sufficient witness to condemn, condemn rebellious man, but they're not enough to save us. We need more. And so now in the psalm, David changes tack. He moves from the creation to the law. It is this change that has made people think this is um, uh, two different psalms, but David is simply moving forward in his praise. He moves from the glory of the Lord in, in, in creation to the glory of the Lord in his law. And notice another change here. You should be able to see it in your translations. So here we have a switch in the, in the name used for God. So in your translations, you'll see it's gone from the word God in verse 1 to here it'll be Lord in small capitals. So in the Hebrew, God in verse 1 is L, just E-L. But Lord here, of course, is, is Yahweh. So we move from, well, as Alec, Alec Mortier says, um, the silent word of nature declares God, but behind the word of scripture stands Yahweh. So we move from the general name to a very specific name. Um, and in thinking about Yahweh, there are some Old Testament scholars who wonder why in our modern translations we still even use the word Lord in small capitals. We should be using Yahweh. But um, back to the psalm. So verses 7 to 9, you can see there's quite a specific outline of Hebrew poetry. Um, uh, for those of you who are interest, interested, it's, it's bicolon poetry. Um, and so it's, it's, a, it's a poetic device. It's, it's two, two verses back to back off each other. And we'll just read through them just to refresh ourselves. So starting at verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. So the law of the Lord is perfect. That's actually the Torah of Yahweh. The Torah of Yahweh is perfect, is flawless. So law here goes beyond just the Ten Commandments, but in, in the context David's talking about, it's the entirety of Scripture, it's the entirety of God's Word. Um, this, this is his instruction, this is the, this is the teaching of the Lord. Um, and of course in David's time, what he had available was much more limited to what we have, um, whereas we've got, we've got the whole Bible, we've got the complete revelation of God. But here, it's, it's explained as perfect or complete, um, Alec Mortier again he said it's neither needing addition nor permitting abstraction so it's complete, it's whole it has nothing in, it has everything you need and there's nothing you can take away from it and here it, it revives the soul or restores the soul so the word here revives is about bringing back uh, it's about refreshing or renewing so the idea here is, here is that, that reading the Bible brings us back to God to be renewed or refreshed. And then the second part of verse 7, uh, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. 
So, so testimony, of course, is, is God's witness, is his declaration, is his statement. And here it's saying it's sure, it's faithful, it's reliable. And making wise the simple. So simple can actually have two different, um, it can be either positive or negative in its connotation. So, so negative is that um, you believe anything and everything, um, you know, you're gullible or naive. But positive um, is you're teachable, you're open to learning things, you're open to learning what God has to say and um, becoming wise. Uh, so yeah, obviously we all know non-Christians and like me, you probably know a lot of people who think that because you're a Christian, you're the simple one. Um, you know, I'm, I'm dumb enough to believe in not just God, but the Christian God. Um, but I often find that a lot of these wise people, they're into astrology and crystals and all sorts of other things. Um, but the point is they see themselves, they're the wise ones. But in God's economy, they're the simple, they're the gullible, they're the naive. Um, they're the ones who believe anything. And it's only by God's testimony that they can become truly wise. Um, as, as Ricky mentioned at the start there, so the fear of the Lord is in the beginning of, of wisdom, the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and discipline. So verse 8, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. So precepts, this is about God's authority, what he has appointed. They're things to be obeyed. And they rejoice the heart. So Dale Ralph Davies again, and I haven't finished talking about him yet, but anyway, Dale Ralph Davies again, he points out that according to the world, the precepts of God equal drudgery. But in in the Bible, God's authority equals delight. In our society, in our culture, that the big mantra is to follow your heart. But is this, is this actually fixed anything? Um, the, 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 the sexual revolution of the 1960s is continuing on today. So we have uh, broken marriages, or more common these days, we have relationships of convenience where I don't get married because, you know, someone else might come along. Um, we have kids growing up in homes with, with multiple fathers. Uh, working in, when I worked in juvenile justice alongside child protection, the, the amazing thing was that, that rarely ever any of the kids involved in, in, in the courts or involved in child protection, rarely ever did they come from a home with a married mum and dad. That's not to say that, you know, married mum and dad are the be all and end all or, or, that, or that a single mum or, you know, step families can't be good, but it's just interesting that, that, you know, I can only think of two or three kids ever, and they were on very unusual cases, where they come from a home with married mum and dad. Um, many people have pointed this out over the years, um, just the protections this has, but as a, as a society we ignore this fact because that's, that's thing going to impinge on my, my freedoms and my choices. But what we find instead is if, if we turn to God's ways, we find true joy and wholeness. It's been shown again and again, and, and this is in general, that um, um, you know, couples who stay together and persevere in marriage end up happier. You know, that's, that's not to say that that's the case all the time. There are often marriages that just can't be um, fixed for a whole host of reasons. Um, but as a general rule, those who work through the hard times come out better in the end. And as, and as I've mentioned before, the kids do much better as well. So Yahweh's precepts bring us joy and happiness. Uh, so eight, verse 8b, the second half of verse 8. So the commandment of the law is pure, enlightening the eyes. So this is not the commandments, but 
as in the Ten Commandments, but the commandment. So again, it's the whole, the whole word of God. Um, so it's, it's, it's whole, it's pure, it's without pollution or imperfection. And enlightening the eyes, again, this is about refreshing and renewing and energising weary people. There may be some parts of God's counsel that we struggle with, as, as Peter talks about in, in his letter, in Second Peter, but we understand enough to know God's will, um, to be enlightened as to his ways and to clarify our priorities. Now notice verse 9 is a little bit different again. So we've gone from law, testimony, commands and precepts to fear. This is an effect of God's word. So the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Don't forget the fear is not being scared of God, although there might be an element of that, but it's about awe, respect and submission. And clean here is about moral purity, but it also reflects the idea of ceremonial cleanliness, so animals, so animals without blemish. And the rules of the Lord are true and righteous together, righteous altogether. Arguably, this is a summary of the verses we've just read through. And I'm not sure how, it's a bit of conflict here, but rules could be a bit different again. So whereas if you think of Exodus, um, Exodus chapter 20, that's got your Ten Commandments, and then Exodus 21 to 23, um, that fleshes out the Ten Commandments with a whole lot of rules. So that's arguably what this is saying here. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And so Dale Ralph Davies again says that through these verses, 7 to 9, David's trying to pile stuff up. Um, He's trying to build this total picture of what God's word is like. And so the only response we can have left then is, is verse 10. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Desired here is actually the word coveted, as in, you know, Eve ate of the tree in Genesis 3 because it was desirable, it was covetable, it was the same word. And in the Ten Commandments, you shall not covet your neighbour's house or wife. Again, it's that, it's that same word. So the point here is, is, the, is we are to have a holy and pure lust for God's word. I must have that. This should be the craving for our soul. And God's law is more desirable than gold. So God's word is more desirable than gold. So it's it's valuable. It has value to us. But more than value, it's also pleasurable. Um, It's sweeter than honey. Um, Honey was the sweetest food available in the ancient world. Um, But today, many of our foods, even our savoury foods, have some form of sugar in it. We crave it, we covet it. But God's word is sweeter. It's far more desirable and pleasurable. So do we value scripture this much? So uh, a few times up here, different people have um, mentioned the Puritans and our men like John Bunyan, who was a a tinker by trade. But these men were so embedded and, and full of scripture that after years in a dungeon, Bunyan could pen Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, it was said that if you pricked one of these men, they would bleed bibline. They would bleed blood. They would bleed Bible. So, do we prioritise reading God's word over other activities? Um, we all seem to be very busy, but do these other things take precedence over God's word in our lives? Romans two twelve says, "Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing." 
you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So how can we we be transformed and renew our minds and discern God's will if we aren't invested in God's word? Um, What is shaping who I am? You know, there's plenty of TV TV shows we watch, um, uh, plenty of books and magazines and newspapers. They're all pushing an agenda and they're all in some way shaping our thoughts and our responses and our ideas on on, on things on the world around us. Um, None of them are neutral. Um, And if we're not careful, they'll, they'll, they'll they'll be transforming our minds into that image and not, not the image that God wants us to. Um, so as an example, um, a lot of people, a lot of Christians, really don't see that much wrong with sex outside of marriage. Um, so that's just that slow, well not even a slow change, but it's a change that's happened. And there's plenty of other examples that we could give. But, but that's the thing, that's where we need to invest ourselves in, our, in, in God's word, invest ourselves in the Bible. So it's God's word that's going to shape our reality and who we are. Um, without meaning to labour the point, um, last year I talked about the, the Murray McShane Bible reading plan. This year I mentioned the, the five-day reading plan and, and Nathan's dad was here two weeks ago and he had some Bible reading plans as well. Um, so, so as an example, Robin and I, so she, um, I'm an early bird, she's a night owl, so on our own, we're doing the five day, read, five day Bible reading plan. Um, so it's, you basically go through the whole Bible, but just doing it five days a week. But the point is, on our own, we'll do the Old Testament readings, but then together, we're going through the New Testament readings. And so that's our priority in the evening, to, 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 to read the, the chapter for the day, and that's the springboard for discussion and then our prayer as well. Um, so I'm just putting that... So that we just we just decided, yep, that's what we're going to do. Everything else gets put aside for that. And so I'm just saying that as an encouragement, hopefully. So, by investing ourselves in God's Word, we should learn more about God, but also about ourselves. And David, being a good student of Scripture after declaring the, the glory of the Lord revealed in heaven, um, the glory of the word of the Lord revealed in his law, he now turns his focus on himself and in doing so he sins and his need for mercy and change and the glory of the Lord in his Redeemer. In looking at these last verses, um, we can see David starts off here in the negative but then he, he, he's in the positive, moves through to the positive by the end. So verse 11... So still speaking about God's word here. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them is their great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Notice it's hidden faults. Um, um, we sin in ways we aren't even aware of. Before moving to sale, um, I've probably mentioned this many times up here, but uh, we were part of the, the Wesleyan Methodist Church. Um, and one of their things they taught was perfectionism. And that's the idea that we can achieve moral perfection in this life. I said it a weird way. I was trying to, I was racking my brains trying to remember it, but it's something like, um, it's not that I'm able not to sin, but I'm not able to sin or something weird like that. I can't quite remember it. But that goes against everything that the Bible says. Um, 
Here, David says, we sin in ways that we don't even realise. As students of God's law and his word, we need to realise that we are being warned that we do transgress God's ways. In verse 13, keep back your student also from presumptuous, sorry, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. So these are sins committed in arrogance and pride. They are willful and they can enslave us. They can have dominion over us. So don't let them rule over us. And continuing on in verse 13, then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Dale Ralph Davies sees the great transgression as outright apostasy. Um, He also says that the, 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 the... the Bible doesn't let us assurances of, of our salvation um, negate its warnings. The point of the warnings um, is that we simply forget what we are capable of. Um, we forget who we are. We forget that we are indeed sinners. So, come thou fount of every blessing. It's, I don't know why, but it's just a song that I just really enjoy. Um, it was penned by then 22-year-old uh, Robert Robinson, but um, just just these words from it. So let thy goodness like a fetter, so fetter being you know chains or, or leg manacles. So let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the Lord I love. Here's my heart, I take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. We are prone to wander. We are prone to sin. We are prone to to to, to stray. Um, there are plenty of passages in the Bible. You know, Hebrews 6, for example, there's plenty there to warn us. These words should resonate with us. Um, plenty of people have pointed out that the Christian life is actually a battlefield. Um, it's not only external, the world and the, and, the, and the devil, but it's internal as well, it's the flesh. So while I, I, I can rest assured in my salvation, the Bible also clearly warns us that our hearts are prone to wander, that I need to work out my salvation with fear and trembling, Uh, that we are to run with endurance the race set before us and lay aside every weight of sin. Although I'm now a new man, there is still the inclination to wander from my Lord and Saviour. So do we recognise this? Do we recognise that we not only have hidden sins, but that there are sins that still hold dominion over us? And so David ends with verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And so David ends looking to his redeemer and hoping that his words and meditation will be acceptable. He knows that his sins form a barrier between him and Yahweh. And so, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. He needs a redeemer. He needs to be brought back into God's good graces. And here and as in well here and here, as well as in the other Psalms, uh, we see David putting his trust in him. From our vantage point, uh, we know that we have redemption in the perfect and once for all sacrifice of Christ Jesus. And so while we do recognise the glory of the Lord in creation and the glory of the Lord in his in his law and in his word, it's in Christ the Redeemer do we see the fullest glory of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you uh, uh, for this wonderful psalm. Uh, we thank you for the 
enjoyment that we can get from your creation, um, that it does reflect your glory, but also, Lord, um, uh, we recognise that that's not enough, that we do need more, we need your word, and um, more importantly, we need Christ. And so, Lord, help us to diligently uh, study the scriptures and learn about the magnificent work that was done for us and, um, and about the magnificent Saviour who has done it. Amen.